Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. series on graceful exits, we come today to the idea of how do you gracefully leave a church. Now, maybe you are fortunate enough to have never had to leave a church. Maybe you will be fortunate to never have to leave this church. But the reality is that with our lives, our jobs, our schooling, and sometimes the reality of being people in community, that sometimes we have to leave our church. And so we began with some easier things to practice graceful exits, like a conversation. Not that it's easy, but a relationship. How do you leave a job? And if it's not a job for which you are being compensated monetarily, then it might be a position of power and authority that you are going to be leaving. And how do you do that so that there's a good and fruitful transformation, but also transference of power? And so today, we're going to talk about the church side. Now, for a lot of people, uh, a move from a church can be one that is sad, but not because of any disagreement. It could be, again, that you're going off to school. Last week, we looked at a lot of our graduates that were going on to new places and phases in their lives, and so they may have left the church for that reason. There are those that will leave because of their jobs. If the company has you go somewhere else, then that's what you end up telling the church. My job is moving me, and I will have to leave you now. And my last church was five minutes from Norfolk Naval Base, and so a lot of people got moved because they were redeployed. And so it was not necessarily a tragic thing, but it was sad to see people leave. But also people will leave because as we experience in the book of Acts today, Sometimes we can no longer walk together. Sometimes things happen, and sometimes it might be that the church is on a path that you don't feel called to go, and so you have to figure out how to go your way, and what does that parting look like? Sometimes it's because of the exact words that we have in the book of Acts. It says that there was a disagreement that became so sharp, came to a point where they had to part company. And that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to realize that sometimes we can no longer be together in the way that we were, or that perhaps our ministry together has come to an end, and it is time for us to part. This is something that clergy typically wrestle with in the United Methodist Church. In our tradition, we have a sent ministry, which means every year our presiding bishop looks at all of the appointments. That is the matches between clergy and their charges, their individual churches or a multi-point charge, and sees are these still fruitful or is there a place that really needs the gifts and the graces of this particular clergy person? And so they might initiate a move. And every year, we as clergy and you as the churches participate in this. It's a form. It's a pastor preference form. And on that form, on one side, the clergy person checks off one of few options. Is our ministry together fruitful and we wish to stay together? Or do we recognize that our gifts and graces, we can stay together, but we would be open to a change in pastoral appointment? 
Or do we recognize that maybe not this year, but within the next couple years, that our ministry together is coming to an end? And so we would like the, the bishop and the cabinet to be aware that there will be a pastoral change that needs to happen. Or there's one that says, our ministry is over. Please make a change now. <laughs> The other one is that our pastor is either going to retire or go into extension ministry, and so we're going to have a vacant parsonage. So all of those are opportunities that we see as graceful exits. And what's most difficult is when you have a clergy person and a church checking off different ends of that form. And so if you have a church that feels like the ministry is going very well, but you have a clergy person who feels that they have given all that they have and it's time for the church to have new pastoral leadership, or it could be the inverse of that. Maybe the pastor feels that things are going well, but the church is ready for some newness and some rejuvenation. That can be very difficult to navigate, and that is part of our polity in the United Methodist Church. And I can tell you that even though we're all well-versed in how to check that form, sometimes we're not well-versed in how to exit. So this is something that as Christians and as even United Methodists, we have to think about how do you gracefully leave a church? And if it comes to the point that Paul and Barnabas had, where they disagreed so much so that they recognized that they could no longer work together, that they had to separate, how do you do that? You'll notice that it kind of gets glossed over that this happens. But the fact that the scriptures say that their disagreement was so sharp that they had to part company is telling us in no uncertain terms that they reached the point of no return that they could no longer go back. They couldn't resurrect or rejuvenate or reconcile or rekindle or restore what had brought them up to this point. They disagreed. And what were they disagreeing about? Paul felt that he could no longer serve beside Mark. He couldn't do that because he felt abandoned by Mark. When they went to Pamphylia, Mark refused to go. And so Paul and any of the others that were working in the ministry of Jesus Christ there felt abandoned. And if you've ever felt abandoned, you know the pain, the deep inner suffering that you can have. It can wound you to the point that you wonder if you'll ever be healed. And maybe that's what Paul was trying to express. I felt betrayed. I felt abandoned. I felt that I had been wronged, that he had left me at the point where I thought we had something very powerful and important and vital for the church, and he walked away. There's clearly some reconciliation work that's going to have to happen between the Apostle Paul and Mark when they get to the kingdom to come. But then you have Barnabas. And Barnabas says, you know, I, I think maybe this is an opportunity for us to continue to do good works. Maybe, maybe Mark made a mistake. Maybe Mark did abandon us. But that doesn't mean that we can write Mark off. You know, I see that I could still do powerful ministry with Mark, and I'm committed to doing that. But they can't have it both ways. And so Paul and Silas will go off in one way, and Barnabas and Mark will go off in the other. But you'll notice that that's about it. We don't have chapters of intrigue and how they went back to the apostles in Jerusalem and tried to get them to weigh in and pick sides or cast out Mark or cast out Paul. We don't, we don't see that. What they decide is that we will do ministry separately. We will go our separate ways. And that's a painful reality to living in the church. Because the church is filled with people who sin. 
We're here because we recognize that we were sinners and we have been saved by the grace of the cross. But we also recognize that that sin doesn't just fall away when we join the church. That instead, it's a constant work of trying to engage with grace and one another and doing both of those fruitfully. And sometimes we just get to a point where we can't do that anymore here. And so what do we do? Now, graceful exits have happened on a large scale in the course of Christianity. One of the biggest graceful exits, perhaps, is the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you're on our side, we feel it's very graceful. All right? If you're a Protestant, you're like, that was handled so well. That was really well done. If you're on the Roman Catholic side, you might not be as impressed with the exit. But what you find is that if you look at what can happen when there are fractures and schisms across the history of humanity in world religion, you'll find that the Protestant Reformation actually went remarkably well. That what happened was that even in the Roman Catholic tradition of multiple crusades, wars, what happened was that you had a catalyst for it. In this case, it was a German Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther decided to do something that I'm sure he thought was very therapeutic. He decided to write a list of all the things that he thought were problematic in the Roman Catholic Church. He had a small list, about 95 things, <laughs> that he thought could be, you know, better <laughs> or changed completely. And he did what any of us would have done before the days of social media and the internet. He nailed it to the, the door of the church. He made sure that they could see it, right? He didn't just keep it all inside. He let them know, hey, this is what's bothering me. And what ends up happening is that, again, from the Protestant side, we see that as giving voice to the voiceless. Some of the things that Martin Luther was advocating for was that people be given the Bible in a language that they could understand. Stop giving it to them in the Vulgate, in the Latin, because they don't speak Latin in Germany. They're not even related as base languages. But instead, he was advocating for those people. Could you imagine how impactful the stories of God and Christ would be if you gave it to them in German and they could read it for themselves? This week, I had the opportunity to watch what happens when you empower children to hear the stories of the Bible and of Jesus Christ for themselves. Completely different than if you simply read it to them in a very archaic form of English. Completely different. And so he was advocating for that. He was also advocating that perhaps we should do away with some of the things that seem to bring more pain and suffering than actual reconciliation and absolution, like indulgences. If you are selling forgiveness, what happens to poor people who can't afford to buy it? So he was advocating for people, and of course that's the Protestant perspective of that. I will totally own that. But what ends up happening is that from a Protestant side, we look at that and all of the things that came forth from that, whether we have the, the foundation laid for the emergence of the Anglican Church, the Church of England, we have the opportunity for Lutheranism, eventually Episcopalians will come from this split, as will Methodism. You have the movement first of the Anabaptists, and then eventually in the United States that will become the Baptist movement, all rising from that first moment when people said, we are not perfect. We need to address our problems. And perhaps you've been a part of 
either a group of people or an organization, a job, a school, a church, where you thought we could do better. And when you tell people, they're like, stop talking. We're fine. If you don't talk about it, we're all good. But that was not the way of the church. The church was about introspection and looking and going, how can we be better? We've been given the freedom to be better. How do we make ourselves better? And so in that spirit, Martin Luther began in earnest what would become the Protestant Reformation. What we don't often talk about is that it prompted a counter-reformation within the Catholic Church. Now, they didn't take Martin Luther's list of 95 things and completely apply all of them. They did not. But they did address certain things. And some of that is indeed what is paving the way for what eventually will become known as Vatican II. And in Vatican II, the Catholic Church, in a rare moment of inclusivity, said, you know, just maybe there is a place in the kingdom to come for non-Catholics. Just maybe. Now, most of us go, well, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a place for us. But in the Catholic Church, that's a pinnacle moment. That is a theological, doctrinal, and dogmatic shift that would have been unprecedented. It would not have even been thought before the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation. In Methodism, we too have seen what happens when we have to split, when there's a schism, and we have to split. Now, a lot of people are watching to see what will happen to United Methodism. This is the largest of the Methodist denominations. That is our denomination here at Crozet United Methodist Church. And we are currently the largest group of Methodists within the entire family tree of Christianity. And we wonder, is there going to be a schism? This would not be our first. If we were to break, we would simply be once more engaging in what first happened in the book of Acts and what the Methodist Episcopal Church went through and culminated in 1844. In 1844, a group of Methodist Episcopalians, that sounds weird, but that's what they were, Methodist Episcopals, the Methodist Episcopalians said, I think that we should allow another group into our church that have never been allowed in the church before. And some Methodist Episcopals said, what are you talking about? And they said, there's this group of people, and they're sinners like all of us, uh, but I think that we should let them in, and they happen to be slaveholders. They own slaves. And one group said, that is an abomination. We are not letting those people in here. And that's a hard no for us. And the other group said, but God's grace is for everybody. And I think that we should allow them in. And like Paul and Barnabas, their disagreement became so sharp that they had to part ways. And in 1844, the church split into the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal South. The Methodist Episcopal South being the side of the family tree that actually wanted to be inclusive of those that owned slaves. Now that is not how we would like to think of inclusivity in 2022, but that was the reality of that day. And I tell it to you because there are vestiges of an exit all around. My last church had an old narthex. Uh, they had reinvigorated their former sanctuary into a fellowship hall space. 
And there was an old narthex that led into that from the street. And I remember it had mosaic tile on it. And we went in there one day and pulled it. It became a storage area. That's what happens when you don't use an exit. It becomes a storage area. And we pulled everything out. And we kind of ran a broom and a mop over the mosaic tile. And I stood there in awe as it read, Larchmont Methodist Episcopal Church South. And I said, do you understand the history of this church? And of course they said to me, well, of course I do. They did not. They did not know. And so we had to talk about what Methodist Episcopal Church South meant. And then one day I was teaching our preschoolers about Holy Communion, and I brought out one of our chalices, and I brought out one of our patents, one of our plates over here, and just simply showed it to them. We didn't take communion that day, but I showed it to them. And then as I went to clean it, because you always clean it before you put it back, I went to clean it, and because I don't normally do that, we have some amazing communion stewards who handle all of this for us. I was cleaning it, and I looked at it, and I realized that in the right light that I could see that it said C-M-E-C-S. This was once Crozet Methodist Episcopal Church South. Now, those plates must be well over 150 years old. The church reunited in 1939. And so those plates are a living reminder of our brokenness. They are a living reminder that even though the disagreement became so sharp that the people could no longer stay together and they had to go their separate ways, that somehow, some way, there must have been a graceful exit because we know that they came back together and formed the Methodist Church in 1939. We wouldn't become the United Methodist Church until 1968. But in 39, we came back together. Now, on one hand, I was looking at this patent going, why in the world do we have this? But on the other hand, I stopped and I thought to myself, do you know that this plate now embodies how you can take brokenness and find your way back to each other? how fitting is it that we serve communion off of that plate? Because a graceful exit from a church isn't just about not saying mean things or trying to destroy people or clergy as you leave. It's not about finding a new place and trying to lure all of your friends and your family and the big givers that you know to a new church. What it's really about is, in the church, we leave space for reconciliation. We leave it in the openness of the air in the sanctuary. We leave it in the openness between the pews and in the aisles. We leave it in the pauses in our prayers. We leave space for reconciliation. And if we don't do that with how we leave, then what we are saying is, Lord, don't ever bring us back together. And imagine if God listened to us. What if God gave us what we wanted instead of what we needed? What if God was like, okay, I'll never bring you back together. So when Christ returns in total glory on the day of resurrection and the day of judgment and separates everyone, the sheep from the goats, and then says to the goats, okay, you didn't want to come, so you go over there, and says to the sheep, okay, I'm going to need all of you to now further split into two groups. And group A, come on in and settle in. There's a place for all of you. And to group B, I'm going to need you to wait in this waiting room because you're not ready. 
And you're going to say, not you personally, because of course you are going to be in group A. But if you were in group B, you might say to yourself, um, Jesus, is your grace not enough? And Jesus will say, oh no, my work is done. You all have to work on each other. Because you didn't leave each other right. And so you're not ready to come back. Could you imagine if Paul and Barnabas became roommates in the kingdom to come and they have not worked through this? Wouldn't you love to be next door and watch in on moving day to see what is it like when two of our brightest, our boldest, two of our greatest evangelists in the history of all of Christianity have to live out reconciliation? What does that look like? It's a whole different world, literally, figuratively, theologically, doctrinally. It is a different thing for us. So yes, you may come to the point in this church or another church where you say, I can no longer walk with you, but do you have to destroy that which you can no longer be with? Miraculously, when the Methodist Episcopal Church broke, it did not destroy each other. In fact, they left space. Maybe it was a tension-filled space. Maybe it was a space that was full of mourning and sorrow and, yes, even pain. But they left space. And in the fullness of time, God brought them back together. And because God could do that with how they left themselves, it laid the foundation for us to join with people that we never would have picked. If you look at who the Evangelical United Brethren were historically and who the Methodist Church were historically, you would never put us together. I'm sure there were church historians that were watching this going, this will never work. And maybe they're right. Maybe it won't work forever. Maybe it will break. But how we choose to exit, if that day comes will determine whether or not in the future the world can once more see reconciliation embodied in a people who choose to call themselves Methodist. That is the difference, and that is what is at stake when we leave a church, whether we are leaving ourselves with our partner, our spouse, our family, our friends, whether we are leaving as an individual local church or we are leaving as part of a denomination, when we leave, we have to decide how we're going to go. And maybe it is such a shame that the Bible doesn't give more credence to this parting of ways between Paul and Barnabas. But maybe what really speaks volumes and speaks the loudest is that the Bible doesn't tell us that they sought to destroy and undermine each other's ministries, but that instead, that they focused on what God was calling them to now, and maybe even blessed and prayed for the other. That is how Christians leave a church, and that is who we are called to be. So if one day you should find yourself leaving a church, for any reason whatsoever, May you be willing to have authentic, open conversation about why. 
May you be willing to talk about how your leaving doesn't mean that you desire the destruction, the obliteration of those that you are walking away from. But that instead, like Paul and Barnabas, you are willing to leave space that one day, even if it is the day of resurrection, we might come back together again. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.